So yeah, we're continuing our series in the Minor Prophets, and they are called the Minor Prophets, not because they are unimportant, but because they are short. So compared to the big books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they are relatively short. I think it's Augustine who first called them the Minor Prophets. But they, uh, they pack a punch, they have a, an important message for us, and we looked at the book of Hosea with Michael in the evenings, and so now we move on to the book of Joel. And we come to read, let us come now to read God's word. Joel chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. The word of the Lord that came to Joel the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days (coughs) or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left The swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, Powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn. The ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley. Because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, the pomegranate, the palm, and the apple. Well, we finish there, and the, the message really continues through this, this great message, all the way through to 2.12, when you have the call to repentance there. So this, Joel, sort of builds in waves. But may uh, the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word for us this morning. So the book of Joel is a call for repentance and faith in view of the coming judgment, referred to as the day of the Lord. It's a promise of coming judgment, and a promise of restoration. It's a call for God's people to 
wholeheartedly turn back to God, to rend their hearts and not their garments, as Joel says famously in chapter 2, verse 12. And the message of repentance and faith is one which comes repeatedly through the Bible. We are by nature sinful and deserving of God's wrath. So the message of the Bible is one of repentance, the one which calls us and calls people everywhere to turn back to God. When Jesus came, he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so in the first chapter of Joel, we see the beginning, really, of that call to repentance, which then continues with the rest of chapter one and on into chapter two. Um, and then the, the end of the book, we get, well, the promised restoration and then um, continues on. And uh, the message of Joel really is that this, this locust plague, which is upon the people, is a sign of the coming day of the Lord. He's saying to them, in a sense, it's going to get worse before it gets worse. And so this section, it's uh, the beginning, really, of his call to repentance. And you see the, the imperatives as he just calls them to, uh, to wake up. So we're just going to look at it. There's, there's four sections it breaks down into. Uh, verses, after looking at uh, the introduction, we're looking in four bits. So uh, chapter, uh, verses two to four calls them to, to listen, to hear this. Five to seven, he calls God's people to wake up. In verses 8 to 10, he calls God's people to lament. And verses 11 and 12, to be ashamed. He's calling for heartfelt repentance. The problem was that their, their worship, they worshipped God uh, in the, the temple and so on, but their worship had become far, um, become sort of merely external. Their hearts were far from God. Well, let's look uh, briefly at uh, this introduction. So chapter 1, verse 1, we have simply stated the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. And that's it. Um, so the word of the Lord, so we have the word of Yahweh, the word of Almighty God, the word from the God who created the heavens and the earth and the God who controls all things. And it came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. And this introduction doesn't give us any more information about Joel than that. So typically in the prophetic literature, we get a lot more than that. So Hosea has the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Or Amos, which comes next in the Minor Prophets. You have the word of the Lord which came to Amos, and then we're told in the years of Uzziah. Um, and and in both Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you get lots of historical background. So you know exactly what you're dealing with and where it is. Now, Joel, you don't get that. It's the word of the Lord which comes to Joel. And so you can imagine the commentators have a, a lovely time trying to work out exactly when this is. And they, you get pages of the stuff. And there's views ranging from quite a long time before the exile um, uh, to quite a long time after the exile. And there's this range of views, and it's quite hard to sort, sort out. Uh, 
for my money, it's before the exile, sort of probably fairly shortly before the exile. I think he's probably a contemporary of uh, Jeremiah and, and the, those, that sort of, sort of thing, or, or the sort of end of Isaiah's ministry. Um, but it's really hard to be dogmatic about that. We're simply not told. And the Holy Spirit doesn't think we need to know that. The message comes quite clearly to us without uh, knowing the exact details. It's just this vivid book, this, this wave upon wave as he's calling God's people to, 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 to wake up and to turn to the Lord. Now, hopefully we'll see some of that, just kind of experience some of that rich poetry and the, the drama really of this book, which is uh, disturbing as we see the destruction of this locust plague. And so we come to this message, uh, which is the message from God to uh, God's people at that time and his word for us today. And verse two, hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. And Joel, I think he, he addresses first the elders, the older people, because what is happening to them with this plague of locusts and what is about to happen is not something that has happened ever before in living memory um, uh, and in the life of the nation. It happened to, to Egypt, but it happened, happened, hadn't happened to Israel. And the perspective of uh, age and the older folk among us is a good thing, isn't it? So we have now, sort of scared by the news, and we see inflation running at 13% and energy shortages. And if you, if you speak to someone of the slightly older generation, they'll say, well, I remember the 70s and it was running at 20% and we had blackouts and we just put on jumpers for goodness sake. And, and sort of, but older, older folk have seen it before or I speak to my father or speak of rationing. He's been through the war. So there is a perspective which comes from age to put our current crises in perspective and help us to weigh the current crisis. And we saw that with the pandemic, wasn't it? It was good to be able to weigh that against things like the Black Death and just get a right, a proportionate response to some of the things which are, are happening. So, but, so he addresses the, the elders here, um, but he says, look, this is unique. This is going to be a unique devastation. This devastating plague of locusts and all that that entails is unique. Thus, tell your children of it. Let their children tell their children and their children to another generation. It's going to be just this well-known event or complex of events in the life of Israel. It's unprecedented for God's covenant people. Well, we come to the locusts here. Verse 4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping lotus has eaten. And what the hopping lotus left, the destroying locust has eaten. Different names for these locusts, but you notice what they have in common, don't you? They are gobbling, munching, crunching locusts. Now, there are nine words in the Hebrew language for locust. Um, just like in Scandinavia, there are all those words for snow. And in England, many words for rain. Well, the, in Hebrew, many words for uh, locust. These cutting, swarming, hopping, destroying locusts. And learned PhDs written on the precise difference of these locusts. And some people trace them. They're different locusts that 
some of the different developmental stages. So what we have here, the destroying locusts are literally the young locusts because we know what a mighty appetite uh, young creatures have. We think you might experience that if you've got teenagers in your house. Um, so the destroying locusts there, the young locusts, but what they have in common is this mighty appetite. And we see they gobble things up, they eat, and wave after wave after wave after wave of them are destroying the land. Here is God's good land stripped bare. The land which was described in Deuteronomy 8-7 as a land of wheat, barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, where you will lack nothing. That great blessing of God which was upon his people, that uh, Edenic blessing. It was like the land of Eden with all this great abundance and food that they were loaded down with and they were to go before the temple and give thanks for the abundance of all things. But God had given them that blessing, but he had promised that if you will not obey the voice of God, and this is Deuteronomy uh, 28, um, that the curses of the covenant would fall. And that would include a, a locust plague. So Deuteronomy 28, 38, you shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather, it, uh, gather in little for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes for the worm will eat it. So we have God's promise that through disobedience and sin, um, the people will, the, the land will be cursed. And things like this locust plague will come upon them. But they were asleep to this, this fact. The locust plague was upon them, but they were asleep to the reality that this was connected with the judgment of God and the coming judgment of God for their sin. And so John's message is to call them to bring this divine word from the Almighty to call them to wake up. And you see that verse 5. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. Wail all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, it's cut off from your mouth. They are completely asleep, comatose to what is going on. Drunk, they do not perceive uh, the reality that is going on around them. So Joel is calling them to wake up and see what is happening around them. And that's one of the things when, you, when we're reading the prophetic literature, um, we can we often think, well, the prophets, they speak about future events, don't they? Uh, and they do. You look at sort of the books of Isaiah, even the books of Joel. He speaks of the, the coming Messiah and the, speaks of uh, Pentecost and the pouring out of the Spirit. We think of the prophets, well, they speak about what is to happen in the future. Well, the prophets also, as they spoke, they revealed realities which were present realities, but to whom people had their eyes closed. So they, they bring this message which unveils what is really going on. So to speak a word from God is not only to speak about future events, it is also to speak a word from God about the significance of current events, of what is, uh, what is going on in the world around us. And so that is what, what Joel is doing. He's saying, look, wake up to what is happening, for this is a sign of the coming day of the Lord. And they've been asleep to that. And so verse 6 and 7, um, 
Joel continues, it says, a nation has come against my land. And still here, speaking of the locust plague, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Again, this vivid picture of decreation of God's good land being stripped bare and destroyed. Um, and you notice there he says, my land, my vine, my fig tree. This is the Lord's own land, his judgment against his own people. Fig tree and, blood, uh, and the vine, they were blessings of the creator. And here they are stripped bare, thrown down, laid waste. And so there is this call to lament, verse 8 to 10. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Here is just a very vivid picture of joy turned to sorrow, of deep joy of a marriage and all the hopes of a future life turned to uh, the sorrow of a funeral. Uh, deep Deep lamentation. So he's calling, he's calling the people to repent from their, from their hearts. They have this sort of external worship, but he's calling for a heart uh, lament. He continues, verse 9, The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The grain offering and drink offering were to do with temple worship. Ordinarily, as God blessed them with um, grain and wine, which were themselves a sign of a settled, prosperous order. You cannot grow grain if uh, the Midianites are coming and destroying it, or uh, if, if you've got a foreign army coming. Um, you cannot have grain and you cannot have wine unless you have a, a settled and prosperous order. So the very existence of grain and wine were just a sign that this, this land was a, a land free from destroying enemies and so on, um, and just free from pestilence. Um, but they were to bring this and to bring it to the house of the Lord to be offered as a sign of, of worship, and they would enjoy not only the good things of this creation, but ultimately enjoy the fellowship with the Lord. And that, that was in, in the temple. They would enjoy this rich fellowship with the God who made them. And these things were all signs of their rich fellowship with the Lord. Well, that was all cut off. That was all finished. That was all over as the grain offerings and drink offerings were cut off from the house of the Lord. I think I can hear a small plague of locusts drawing near, a sound of cutting. We shall see. Um, so that was, that was all um, cut off. From them, and there was mourning because of that. The priests mourn, uh, even the ground itself, creation itself personified the creation mourning. Think of Romans 8, where the, the whole creation itself groaning. Um, here, the ground mourning because the grain is destroyed and the wine dries up. Um, and so, there's a call for lamentation. For um, the people of God. And so um, 
Joel then continues this final call for repentance. Well, not this of, of what we're looking at today. Um, Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley. The harvest of the field has perished. The vine tree dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up. And gladness dries up from the children of man. Again, a vivid picture of the, the shriveling up of God's blessing, of the removal of the good things of this creation. Um, and then this call to repent, as we'll come on to next week, continues and begins to talk about the day of the Lord, which is coming. Alas, for the day of the Lord, verse 15, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the day of the Lord is coming. And 2.11, the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So this section, in a sense, is just uh, it's the beginning of this great call for repentance. Well, God's message through Joel is that this uh, locust plague anticipates the great day of the Lord, therefore calls his people to, to wake up. But what do we, what do we learn about just the, the beginning of this book and how do we consider these things? Well, I think one of the things we see very clearly is God's sovereign control over his entire creation to give blessing, to give what is good. Uh, and we see that um, here and we just all get all these agricultural images here, seed time and harvest, all these different fruits and things. And we're just reminded that these systems of um, seed time and harvest, of weather, of all these things uh, works because of God's overarching kindness, his sovereignty over all things. Um, and I think the book is a, a reminder of that. And in Joel, we see God's sovereign power to remove all these things, remove the blessings of this creation. We see that in this devastating uh, plague of locusts. So we, we see um, that God is sovereign and he's now breaking apart this creation the, and removing the good gifts of his creation. And I think that's just a, a reminder that actually God is in control of the blessings of this creation, is in control of his world, and we are not. That was the, the lesson in the plagues that Pharaoh had to learn. He thought he was in control and with his gods, and, and the Lord had to humble that nation, and it ended up, um, well, his heart was hardened, but many saw that Pharaoh was not in control, but the sovereign Lord was in control. And Israel needed to learn that God was sovereign and in control of all things and his people needed to learn that they were sort of paying lip service to God sort of worshiping him in, in the temple but their hearts were far from him um, and they'd forgotten actually that it was the Lord who had given them the land the Lord who sustained all things the Lord who was sovereign over all things just as we very easily forget uh, that all the good things the abundance of the things we have are from God's hand. Um, so we, we turn on the taps with fresh water and we um, open the cupboards and there's food. We go to the supermarket and there's, there's food and we fill up our cars with, with, with petrol and, and it's all, it all kind of works and we don't really think about it very much until things start to break down, until things start to come apart, until there are energy crises and things like this. We think, oh goodness, those things which we took for granted uh, are actually very fragile. Until as a nation we have to borrow you know, 150 billion pounds to keep the lights on or whatever we're doing at the moment. But suddenly you look at 
Western Europe, and you think, oh, this, we're in a very fragile condition here, actually. Uh, we're not in charge of everything. We are not masters of our own fate. Actually, we are dependent creatures, dependent on our creator for every good thing that we have. And these things can be removed. And within living memory, have been removed from people. And so these things should humble us and cause us to uh, return to the Lord. So God shakes the nations. And when these things happen, when systems start to break down and, and come apart, his purpose in that, um, whether that happens at that sort of national level or even when it happens um, within our own lives and suffering comes, part of his purpose in that is to wake us up to our mortality, to our dependence, that we might cry out to God, that we might return to him with all of our hearts to know that all the blessings that we have are from his hand. They are his good gifts. It's easy for us as we grow up just to take these things for granted. I remember, um, probably said before, when I, when I was a kid, um, it was a Sunday afternoon and we had the table laden with food and we were sat outside and my father, I was about 15, my father was said, aren't we blessed? Aren't we so blessed? Aren't we blessed? He was saying, and I was looking around going, what, what do you mean, bless? What, 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 like, it's, this is just, it's just Sunday lunch. Um, but he had the perception, um, as a wartime child perhaps, that these things are not ordinary. These are blessings. And so we need to, one of the things I think we, we learn from this is just to rejoice in the good things we have been given and to make sure that we're thankful for those simple blessings, that, that we do have fresh water coming out of the taps and we do have food in the cupboards. So we can't take those things for granted. We, we think we can, but actually those supply chains and things, they are in God's hands and they are fragile and we are dependent ultimately on him. So we learn of his sovereign control over all things, not just agriculture, but we also we see he's in control of the whole vast thing, the whole political systems of the whole thing. Um, I think we see that. Um, we also see um, our need for a divine word to call us to repentance. Remember, this is the word of the Lord to Joel. And this message he had was a word from Almighty God. The locust plague in and of itself was not enough. Um, disasters and difficulties in and of themselves are not enough. We sometimes think, don't we, that, oh, if the nation goes through trouble and difficulty, won't people uh, somehow wake up to their need of God? Well, um, God, God has designed it. So we, need, we need a divine word. We need uh, the message, the call to repent. That is what we see in the book of Joel. Um, God works in his created order, not simply through his great works of providence. He also works through his word of power in the world. And we see that as he sends the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. We see that supremely as he sends his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this great prophet of God, the son of God, who came preaching, saying the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so, and we see at the end of, of Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel, um, he, Jesus says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That actually this divine word 
needs to go out to all the nations, calling all the nations to repentance uh, because of the great day uh, of the Lord uh, that is coming. So when the New Testament speaks of, of the day of the Lord, and we'll come on to this in future weeks and look at this, speaks of that as that great day, that final return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be familiar with that with the end of uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, for instance. But uh, all the, the difficulties, the troubles, the sufferings of this life that we may go through personally and that nations go through God, well, he's got, he's got many purposes in these things. But one of his purposes in these things is to wake us up. Um, C.S. Lewis said that, that suffering was God's megaphone to to raise a deaf world. Uh, and it is that, although uh, also need the, the divine word to accompany that. And so I think uh, as we come to this new season in the church's life, as Gloucester prayers, and as we come to this new season in the nation's life, um, and who knows what is ahead these next few years, we just, I think, need to be praying that this divine word of the gospel would go out to our nation, as we do week by week, um, uh, that in, in the situation, which has been a, a difficult time for many people these last years, the 2020s, and promises to be challenging uh, on into the, to the rest of this decade, um, just to be praying that the divine word of the gospel would go out and that the Lord would be working by his spirit to enable that repentance and faith as he pours out his spirit. And we'll be thinking again of these things as we come on into the, later into the book of Joel. And so um, it's not true, is it, that just because we go through a pandemic or go through economic crisis that people will turn back to God automatically. We need uh, God's grace, the divine word of the gospel, to call people back to himself. Um, so we need to pray for that. And we need to, to hear this message ourselves personally, don't we? Um, it's easy for our own worship to become external or formulaic or just lip service. But actually, God is calling each one of us to turn to him with all our hearts. Perhaps we've already done that, but to turn afresh to him and cry out to him and trust in him. To remember our own mortality, that all of us will stand before the Lord on that great day of judgment. And so to turn that we would come to the Lord now, our gracious God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rode, who died on that day of deep darkness, that great day of the Lord where he bore uh, uh, God's wrath on his own, um, in his own body uh, for, us, for us and for our salvation. So we need to personally repent, even as we pray for this divine word to, to go out. So we come to this message of Joel and to be praying for us, be praying for me as we look at this shortish book that God would be opening our eyes afresh to the glory of Christ, afresh to the realities of the coming judgment, that he would be working a good work in us. Well, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do bless you and praise you for all the good things that you give us, for the great abundance that you bless us and pour into our lives. Father, we acknowledge that we are dependent creatures for our every meal, for everything um, that we need for life. 
All of this comes from your hand. And so, Father, I pray that you would humble us unto your mighty hand, that we would acknowledge you as our creator and as our Lord, that you might give true repentance to uh, uh, your people, your covenant people gathered here, that we would, as it were, rend our hearts. And, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be at work in our nation's life, that you, your, the word of your gospel would go out richly. So we bless and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll come to our final song, um, which reminds us that we have one who stands in heaven, Jesus Christ, who did die for our sins and, and lives, uh, is raised from the dead and lives in heaven to intercede for us.